This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer, and welcome to this edition of Keep the Faith, my weekly podcast in which we explore contemporary issues through the prism of Jewish law and tradition. We're a little early this week because tomorrow, Friday, is the first day of the Festival of Shavuot, one of the three pilgrimage festivals ordained by the Torah, and arguably the most important because of what it is we celebrate. We'll get to that. And it marks our birth as Am Yisrael, the Israelite nation. And yet, it is probably the most neglected observance on the part of the overwhelming majority of Jews and certainly so here in the United States. Today's topic, therefore, is Shavuot, its confused beginnings and its purpose for being. Imagine the scene. It's the late evening of the fifth day of the third month, which we now call Sivan. The Israelites are encamped at the mountain of God, the Torah tells us. In the morning, the people will experience a wonder never before seen and never after to be repeated. The personal appearance before all of them collectively, and each of them individually, of the creator and exclusive master of all that ever was, is, and ever will be. As night falls, they go to sleep. Suddenly, earth-shattering thunder startles them to frightened wakefulness. There are terrible bursts of lightning upon the mountain, making it appear as if it's entirely aflame, and all the people tremble, the Torah says. The sounds of numerous shofarot, strategically placed and undoubtedly echoing off the surrounding mountain, adds even more to the awesomeness of the moment. Soon, Moses calls them to assemble. He leads them out of the camp toward God. Warily, they take their places at the foot of the mountain, and even it trembles violently, we're told. It's as dramatic a scene as one can imagine, but to the Kabbalists of the Middle Ages, there's a problem here. The people had been told by Moses what would happen in the morning of the sixth day. As the Kabbalists saw it, going to sleep the night before was no way to prepare for the encounter of encounters. And so, somewhere between the 13th century, when its echoes are said to be found within rabbinic texts, and the 16th century, when the Kabbalists of Safed make it a standard practice of theirs, the custom began of spending all of the first night of Shavuot studying Torah. They called it Tikkun Leil Shavuot, and the word Tikkun, repair, is a giveaway to its intended purpose. To repair the wrong-headedness of the Israelites in the Kabbalist way of thinking, by staying up all night in anticipation of that fateful moment of revelation, which in fact is reenacted in the morning with the reading of Exodus chapters 19 and 20, at one point most dramatically, or at least it should be. Tikkun has other meanings that work just as well, but repair is how the Kabbalists use the word, repairing the night before God appeared on Mount Sinai. In a sense, this completes the connection the sages of blessed memory made between Passover and Shavuot. They didn't call it Shavuot. They called it Atzeret, which we interpret to mean assembly, and is the name given by the Torah to the festival that occurs on the day after Sukkot, meaning Shmini Atzeret, or the eighth day of assembly, and is also used in context of the last day of Pesach. In the Shavuot sense, it conveys completion of the Exodus. Just as on Pesach we eat unleavened bread and act out the Exodus, so on Shavuot we eat leavened bread 
as the Torah prescribes it in Leviticus, and act out revelation, which is why the Exodus occurred in the first place, as God said to Moses at the burning bush. I have serious problems with the whole concept of Kabbalah, and at least some of it I consider to be what I'd call a pious heresy. But considering that the Torah doesn't prescribe any substantive and meaningful homebound rituals for Shavuot, what the Kabbalists did with Shavuot is actually a good thing. For Sukkot, the Torah tells us to live in a sukkah for seven days and to take in hand the four species, the lulav and etrog, and their accompanying willow and myrtle branches. For Pesach, we're told to eat matzah and have a seder. For Shavuot, we're told nothing. This shouldn't come as a great surprise, though, because we're also not told when to celebrate Shavuot, what date it falls on. Pesach begins in the waning moments of the 14th day of the first month, and Chag Hamatzot, the festival of unleavened bread, begins moments later as the sun sets and the 15th of the month begins. Yes, you heard that correctly. Technically speaking, Passover and the Matzah festival are two separate observances. It just became easier to call a whole seven days Pesach. On the first day of the seventh month, the Torah says, we have another festival, which we call Rosh Hashanah, but Torah does not, and this, the Torah tells us, is followed on the tenth day of the seventh month by Yom Kippur. Then it says we have Sukkot on the fifteenth day of the seventh month. There's nothing like that in the Torah when it comes to Shavuot. Here's what the Torah tells us in Leviticus chapter 23, quote, And from the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering, the day after the Sabbath, you shall count off seven weeks. They must be complete. You must count until the day after the seventh week, 50 days. Then you shall bring an offering of new grain to the Lord, unquote. Exactly when do we bring this sheaf of elevation offering and what the meaning is of the day after the Sabbath go unexplained. The problem is compounded in Deuteronomy 16, where we're told this, quote, You shall count off seven weeks. Start to count the seven weeks when the sickle is first put to the standing grain. Then you shall observe the feast of weeks for the Lord your God, unquote. Is the day when the sickle is first put to the standing grain the same as the day on which you bring the sheaf of elevation offering? And does that occur on the day after the Sabbath, whatever that means? Your guess is as good as anyone's. We take the Sabbath to mean what our sages of blessed memory believed it to mean. The Sabbath mentioned is actually the first day of Passover. Technically speaking, Chag HaMatzot, the festival of unleavened bread, meaning that we begin the seven weeks of counting on the second day of that festival, whenever it falls out in that week. The Torah, in fact, supports referring to festivals as Shabbatot, so there's logic to this. Not everyone agreed with the sages, however, despite the logic. The priests of the Second Temple period and their supporters took Sabbath literally and began their count on the first day of the following week after Pesach began, which means it could fall out on different dates every year, although always on a Sunday. Using this counting scheme, Shavuot this year would fall out on Sunday, two days later than we think it begins. The Dead Sea Scrolls community at Qumran, because they used a fixed solar calendar and because they considered Sabbath to mean the first Shabbat after the Matzah festival, always celebrated Shavuot on the 15th day of Sivan, meaning that this year Shavuot would be celebrated a week from the Sunday. Interestingly, Ethiopia's Beta Israel community also took Sabbath to refer to Pesach, but it interpreted that to mean all of the festival, and they would begin to count on the day after Pesach ended. For the Beta Israel, then, Shavuot would begin each year on the 12th of Sivan, or six days later than when we would celebrate it, meaning next Thursday. 
Are your heads spinning yet? Given such confusion over when Shavuot falls out, it should come as no surprise that the Torah is silent about any homebound rituals. The Torah is silent about another important aspect of Shavuot as well. While it refers to the Chag, to the festival, by several names, the Harvest Festival, the Feast of Weeks, and the Day of the First Fruits, it doesn't refer to it in any way, manner, shape, or form as Zaman Matan Torah Tenu, the time of the giving of our Torah. In fact, no one seems to have referred to it by that name before late in the Mishnah period, meaning not before well into the second century of the Common Era. That could be because no one associated Shavuot with the giving of the Torah until then. In fact, it may have been the desire to create that association that gave rise to the difference of opinion between the priests and the sages over when Shavuot occurs. It also may be when we finally began to celebrate Shavuot on the correct day, despite the Torah's ambiguity and the earlier confusion. There should be no question that the sages were correct. The 6th of Sivan is indeed the date for Shavuot. Let's go back to Leviticus 23. If you accept that the word Shabbat can also refer to one of the pilgrimage festivals, and the Torah does use the word Shabbat in that sense, then the day after the Sabbath almost certainly means the second day of Pesach. Counting from then through 50 complete days brings us to the 6th of Sivan. Following the Torah's chronology of the Exodus in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, the Israelites arrive at the foot of God's holy mountain. Its name is either Horeb or Sinai or both. Nothing comes easy here. The Israelites arrive at Sinai on the 1st of Sivan. On the following day, Sivan 2, Moses goes up to speak with God, then returns to tell Israel that they're going to be God's kingdom of priests and holy nation. Next day, Sivan 3, God tells Moses to prepare Israel for his personal appearance on the third day, specifically stating that was to be the day after, quote, today and tomorrow, unquote, meaning on the 5th of Sivan. Moses, for whatever reason, gives the Israelites an extra day to prepare, thereby putting off the big day until the 6th of Sivan, or at the end of 50 full days from the second day of Pesach, which, by the way, was also the first full day of Israelite freedom, another reason why the Torah most likely wants the count to begin then. The Torah, as noted, refers to Shavuot only as an agricultural festival. There even are hints in the Torah that God's appearance on the mountain and the giving of the Torah were originally celebrated on the day we call Rosh Hashanah, but I'll spare you that discussion, at least for this podcast. That it would have been celebrated on Rosh Hashanah, the first day of the seventh month, makes some sense. We may call Shavuot the festival of the giving of our Torah, but there simply is no way that's so. As the Talmud itself acknowledges in several places, God gave the so-called Ten Commandments on the sixth of Sivan, but not the whole Torah. Through Moses, he clearly also gave the entire Book of the Covenant to us on that day. It's Exodus chapters 21 through 23. But then he called Moses up to the mountain to receive the rest of the law. Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights, long after the sixth of Sivan. On the other hand, Shavuot surely is the day on which God began to give us the Torah, which is good enough reason to celebrate giving of a whole Torah. And this brings us back to the Tikkun Leil Shavuot. Had the sages in the 2nd century not made the connection, the Kabbalists of the 16th most likely would never have conceived of the custom, and the loss to us would have been inestimable. Over time, certain customs did accrue to Shavuot, in addition to pulling an all-nighter studying Torah. One custom is to decorate our homes and synagogues with flowers and all manner of greenery. 
This is connected to the giving of the Torah because of a Midrash, a rabbinic teaching, that the Israelites found Mount Sinai covered in grass and lush with all manner of blooming things. So part of recreating the revelation on Mount Sinai includes recreating what Mount Sinai looked like that day. Then there's the preference for dairy foods on Shavuot. That custom came about because of another rabbinic teaching that had Moses telling the Israelites they had to refrain from eating meat in the days leading up to Revelation because the Torah they were about to receive had specific instructions on what meat was kosher and what meat was not, and they hadn't gotten the Torah yet, so they didn't know which was which. All that being said, let's take a few more minutes and discuss the Torah itself. People consider it a religious document with religious laws. They consider it the basis for the Jewish religion. Judaism, however, is not a religion. It's a way of life designed by God for his kingdom of priests and holy nation, whose job it would be to teach the world by example. By example, not by words, how lives should be led. In other words, how to create a better world than the world that existed back then, and in many ways still exists today. There's no distinction made in the Torah between the moral, ethical, social laws and the ritual ones. When we stood before Sinai and accepted God's assignment as his kingdom of priests and holy nation, we agreed to obey God's commandments. Whether they were ritual commandments or moral, ethical, social ones became irrelevant. All came from God. All had to be observed equally. One example should suffice to prove the lack of any distinction. Here are the first 18 verses of chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, a chapter I sometimes refer to as the Reader's Digest condensed version of the Torah as a whole. It's a long quote, so bear with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall each revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. Turn not to idols, nor make molten gods for yourselves. And if you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, offer it of your own free will. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very corners of your field, nor gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them instead for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Do not steal or deal falsely or lie to one another, and do not swear by my name falsely, nor profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. The wages of he who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. Do not go up and down as a slanderer among your people, and do not stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart or bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That's the quote. The chapter goes on with other laws, such as respecting the elderly, and also says this in verse 34. You shall love the stranger as yourself, something the Torah says in one way or another 52 times. So in what I just quoted, reverence for parents is followed by Sabbath observance, which is followed by a prohibition against idol worship and idol making, which is followed by rules relating to the peace offering, which is followed by laws relating to our obligations to the poor and the stranger, which is followed by a rule against using God's name inappropriately to cheat someone in some way, which is followed by a prohibition against fraud, and so on. There's no hierarchy of law visible in all that. There's no distinction between our obligations to God and our obligations to people. They're all the same. They're all equally required in order for us to achieve holiness in our lives, as befits a kingdom of priests and holy nation. 
They're all to be equally observed for one reason and one reason alone. I am the Lord your God, and thus you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Put in contemporary terms, double parking your car on a street, especially a busy one, which at the very least inconveniences others, and at the very most can cause a serious and even life-threatening accident, especially if the person is forced to go around your car outside of a crosswalk and then gets hit by another car coming along. That's as much a violation of halacha, of Jewish law, as not putting on tefillin every weekday morning, mistreating a counterperson at a supermarket or department store or anywhere else is just as much a violation of Torah law as biting into a slice of pepperoni pizza. One of the sages, Rabbi Eliezer of Modin, put it very bluntly. He outright condemned anyone, scholars included, who profanes the sacred and despises the festivals, in his words, both of which are ritual matters, or who publicly shames someone or who distorts the true meaning of the Torah, which are moral, ethical, social matters. Unfortunately, however, that's not how things are perceived in today's Judaism. Today, the emphasis is on achieving some kind of ritual perfection to the apparent exclusion of everything else and especially civility. The Torah is all about civility in every sense of the word. Go back and study Leviticus 19 because it does not get much clearer than that. This is Rabbi Shammai Engelmeyer. I hope you come back for my next podcast, and I'd like to hear what you think about this and my other Keep the Faith podcasts. Go to www.shammai.com. That's S-H-A-M-M-A-I dot O-R-G, www.shamai dot O-R-G, and email me, please. Chag Sameach, an early Shabbat Shalom. Stay healthy, stay safe, and on this festival of the giving of the Torah, study well.